Produced by PI Media. Abundant in volume yet scarce, soothing and relaxing yet bearing a devastating force. Defies the laws of physics and it can heal as much as it can harm. It is the source of life. I'm Idan and from Israel Newtech and PI Media, this is Waterline. Welcome back to Waterline. Oded. Yes. On the way here, I saw something and I took a picture. Okay? Uh-huh. Now, it is radio, but I would like you to describe what is it that I'm showing you now. Mm. So, I'm seeing uh, vegetables and fruits, mm-hmm. different colors, variety, very nice, looks wonderful. That's a green grocer that we have uh, just, in, downstairs. In the, just downstairs next okay. to our studio. Now, it's nice the way that you zoomed in. You can see the famous sabres mm-hmm. and bananas and carambola and beautiful pomegranates and mango and do things that kind of caught my attention. Avocados uh-huh. and pineapples. Yep. And I don't know if you can see it, but the, it says on the pineapple, made in Israel. What? I need to see. This is why I stopped and took this photo. I guess that a lot of people can point Israel on the map, and they can if they do that, they know that we are in a region that is uh, called semi-arid, mm-hmm. which means that we don't naturally have a lot of water. Yes. And that the rainfall in Israel varies, and we're not you won't not see blessed. Not, not, not that blessed. But we have Israeli pineapples. And tomatoes, which are, what, 95% water mm-hmm. content? It's all Israeli produce. Yes. How is that possible? Hmm. So, agriculture in Israel is relatively a new sector, meaning new 150 years or so. But nomadic people and people who lived in Israel throughout the centuries were always farmers. Yes. If you follow the, uh, the stories in the Bible... A lot of it is about uh, agriculture and the, the different seasons. But I'm talking about, let's say, modern Israel. Agriculture is relatively new, which means that compared to a lot of places in the world that uh, agriculture is done in the same way for hundreds, maybe even thousands of years, and traditions are very strong, the fact that it is uh, relatively a new sector in Israel means that people are not that tight to old traditions. So they are open up. They can try to grow mango and even pineapple that I didn't know that we have uh, an Israeli pineapple. This is new for me as well. Mm-hmm. So one of the biggest uh, challenges is to grow this kind of variety of uh, fruits and vegetables in an arid area with limited amount of water, with a short season of rain, and being able to grow and to develop an agriculture sector that even does export mainly to Europe. So the secret, in a way, of the Israeli agriculture is the fact that it relies very much on reused water. 
Mm-hmm. About 50% of the uh, agriculture in Israel is done with reuse water and the rest with fresh water. So it's a very reliable source of water for farmers and farmers need to be uh, to have a reliable source. But still the Israeli farmers are not complacent. They're not wasting this water. There is something about the way we irrigate in Israel. Yes, that is different. Yeah, drip irrigation is a fundamental tool in the way farmers irrigate uh, their crops. Hmm, drip irrigation. Oded Distel, head of Israel Newtech, calls this technology fundamental for Israeli farmers. Moreover, it is a source of national pride. Ask any Israeli and he will proudly say drip irrigation is an Israeli invention. And on the technological side of things, it makes a lot of sense, as you will hear in the following interview. I've asked to speak with a representative of Netafim, the company that invented, in the mid-1960s, the technology that drives the water directly to the plant's roots. Throughout the years, competing manufacturers began to replicate and innovate, and yet, the birth of this technology was in a small kibbutz in the Negev Desert. My first question was supposed to be about the inventor, Engineer Blas, and about the invention itself. However, once I asked my guest, a tall man with grayish hair and a sparkle in his eyes, to introduce himself, I had to ask him a different question altogether. My name is Nati Barak. I'm Chief Sustainability Officer of Netafim. You have a very interesting title. What yeah. does it mean? You know... Technically, I'm responsible for three pillars in Netafim. Mm-hmm. Uh, corporate governance, which is the way that we conduct our business, social responsibility, and caring for the environment. But for us, especially caring for the environment is basically the essence of our business. We define our business as sustainability, but the platform that we are using to achieve sustainability for the planet is drip irrigation. We introduced drip irrigation to the world more than 50 years ago, and it came out of necessity. Kibbutz Hatserim was a small farming community in the Israeli Negev Desert, and we were struggling, trying to grow crops in very poor soil, high salinity soil, and not enough water. And it was tough. Mm-hmm. And then we met in 1965, we met Simcha Blas, an engineer who invented drip irrigation. And we thought that this was going to be the answer to our immediate needs, growing crops in the desert with limited amount of water. And it turned out to be an answer to the global challenges for the planet. Who is Simcha Blas? Simcha Blas was an Israeli engineer that basically was involved in every water project in Israel before the creation of the state and a few years after. And he told the story, and I heard it from him, that he visited a friend and he saw a very interesting thing. He saw a fence of trees. It was obvious that all the trees were planted at the same time. They were the same type of tree. But one of them was exceptionally bigger than the others. And he wanted to find out what was the reason for that. So he went closer and he saw that a metal pipe that was delivering water to the house 
had a crack in it and it was dripping slowly drop by drop next to that tree a specific one out of the row and that specific tree became the biggest in that row of trees now he saw that on the surface there was just a small stain of moisture but when he started digging into the ground he saw kind of what we call today a bulb or an onion shape where the water is becoming wider and wider and wider the moisture below the soil surface and all the roots were concentrating in that area and this was the reason that that tree was much bigger than the others basically just delivering the water and In small amounts directly to the roots result in better growth of the plant or of the specific tree okay let's get specific what are we talking about numbers you know it's amazing the results of using drip irrigation it can varies I can say in very general terms you can save half of the water and double the yield and In some cases, you save 25-30% of the water and you increase the yield by 30-40-50%. In some places, it is different. How come it's not standard? The results, the yields are not standard depending on climate conditions, on soil, on crop, on the nutrients that you are applying. On the specific conditions on that specific growing season and so on it also depends what you are comparing it with are you comparing it with no irrigation at all what we call rain fed are you comparing it with flood irrigation or are you comparing it with sprinkler irrigation we measure efficiency of an irrigation method and Usually we say that drip irrigation is, let's say, 95% efficient, meaning that 95% of the water and the nutrients that you are applying will get to the plant, and 5% will get lost, either by still some evaporation, very little, or some will not get to the roots. On the other side, you have flood irrigation, which is the least efficient irrigation system. And we used to say that efficiency of flood irrigation is between 40% to 60%, meaning that 40% or 60% of the water will get lost. Now, the problem is that while using flood irrigation, you are also mixing it with fertilizers, with chemicals, with nutrients, and so on. Now, because of the efficiency rate, you lose 50% of it, and you contaminate riverbeds, soil, aquifers, by pumping water, mixing it with fertilizer, applying it through flood irrigation, and then 50% of it ends up back in the aquifer, but with contaminates. And with drip irrigation? With drip irrigation, with nutrigation, since 95% efficiency, every drop of water that you apply goes to the roots to the plant. And that would not contaminate the aquifers? And this aquifers? will not contaminate the aquifers. You sound very confident. You know, I'm, I'm confident. You know, you, you say the proof is in the pudding. I'll tell you a nice story. 
When we just started Nedafim in my kibbutz, in kibbutz Chatserim, the first year we used drip irrigation on our uh, orchards. We used to grow peaches, pears, and apricots. And first season, we almost doubled the yield with half the water. So the farm manager came to us and said, guys, we are going to keep it a secret. We are not going to tell anyone about drip irrigation and we will have the best yields in the market. And then fast forward, you know, several years ago, we did a huge project in the state of Andhra Pradesh in India. Many farmers, I don't remember the numbers, but thousands and thousands of farmers, each one got a very small drip irrigation system. And the local government, the government of the state of Andhra Pradesh, did a survey after the first year. And they found out that, it's all documented, that 50% of the farmers had a yield increase of 30% to 50% and water savings of 25% to 50%. So we have it documented and we are very sure of the results. And we have been practicing drip irrigation all over the world for many, many years now. It's not cheap. This system is costly. It's cheaper to flood irrigate. You know, diplomats always, when, when you bring a question, they say, this is not the question you should ask. So you shouldn't ask me whether the, the, the system is expensive or not. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about return on investment. Okay. True. The system is more costly than just using rain-fed. We had a project, we call it community irrigation in India, in the state of Karnataka. Thousands of farmers, each one bought a system for 500 US dollars. But it's 500 US dollars, which And is five, the annual income. It's, it's much more than the annual income. So it is a lot of money. Now, the government realized that this is an agent of change for the region, the state government. So the government subsidized 50% of the system. The government did it out of the positive and the negative things. The negative was water scarcity and energy scarcity. They had to come with an answer to the water challenge in that region. And they found out that drip irrigation is the answer. Still, the farmer had to pay $250, which is a lot of money for them. But the government, with us, with international aid agencies, worked with local banks to provide microfinancing. So the farmer went to the bank, we helped with the paperwork and everything, and got a loan of $250. And then, again, the government did a survey, and it showed that in five months, the farmer paid back the $250, his personal investment. In five in months? In five months, growing three months. Crops. It's one cycle, it's, five it's, months. It was actually three cycles because in one year they grow tomatoes. Well, they call it tomatoes, but it's the same taste. Cabbage and bitter guard. And the payback was five months. So even if the government didn't subsidize 50%, the return on investment would be one year. Let me ask you what's in it for you. You're privately owned. You're not part of an NGO network. You need to show your investors an end result. So obviously, I will say, what's in it for you? The money. So you found some financial entities that will help either the entrepreneur and with a decent credit mechanism. What's in it for you beyond money? 
if, if at all. You know, sometimes I tend to forget that we are not an NGO. But let me assure you, we are not an NGO. We are a for-business organization. Netafim is a privately owned global corporation, and our aim is to bring profits to our shareholders. But the beautiful thing is that we are doing well by doing good. We are doing good things to the planet, and this is our business. This is how we make our profit. And this is what makes me so proud. I really think that we are very fortunate to be in this position. Let's talk about how many of the world crops and yields are drip irrigated and how many are still flooded. You know, people ask me often, who is your competition? And expecting me to name other companies, other drip irrigation manufacturers. Our number one competition is Is ignorance especially among decision makers not being aware to the advantages of drip irrigation and, and we are working on that and it is changing we started talking about water scarcity and food security from day one from the establishment of nerfim we saw that we have an answer to the most pressing challenge of the world growing population and not being able to grow enough food to not having enough arable land, and especially not having enough water. So we spoke about it from day one. The world didn't listen to us. Day one was in January 1966. Exactly. When we started manufacturing the first dripper from the corner of the carpentry, the woodwork shop in Kibbutz Hatzarim in the desert. In the world of startups, you're talking about either too early, too late, or right on time. Were you too early? Because it doesn't seem to me that you were right on time. And I'm not sure that right now you can say, if you say that ignorance is your number one competition, I don't think it's the right time yet. You know, for me, it's the right time because this is the time that I'm here and I want to continue. So for me, it's always the right time. Sometimes, you know, I, I, I'm not a violent person, but when I see this amount of not being aware to advantages of the drip irrigation, sometimes I have the urge to become physical in enforcing people to understand it. But this is changing. And I'll, I'll give you some figures. Out of global farmland, only 20% is irrigated. The rest? The rest is not irrigated. The rest is what we call rain-fed. Waiting for the rain, praying for the rain. But out of the 20% which is irrigated... You get 40 percent of the food. Out of the irrigated farmland, only five percent is drip irrigated. 80 percent of the irrigation globally is flood irrigation. And the rest is sprinklers, center pivots and so on. But look at Israel. In Israel, 75 percent is drip irrigated. 25 percent sprinklers, There isn't one acre of flood-irrigated land in Israel. Why not 100% drip because in, irrigation? You know, because in some places it makes perhaps more sense, more economical to use uh, sprinklers. But you still lose water for evaporation. But you still lose water for evaporation. But in some crops, it's not always economically feasible to use drip irrigation. California. It's amazing to see agriculture in California. Today, 40% of the irrigation 
is drip irrigation. So drip irrigation is growing, but still sometimes I'm very frustrated to see that only 5%. My dream is 5 to 25. I want globally to see 25% of global irrigation to be drip irrigation, and I hope that it will happen during my uh, lifetime here. When we are talking about the next drip revolution, it may be rice. You know, we are talking about food security. We are not talking about strawberries or almonds or grapes. We are talking about cassava. We are talking about maize, corn. We are talking about soybeans. We are talking about potatoes. And we are talking about rice. And we at Netafim, in the last 13 years, we have been conducting experiments with growing rice with drip irrigation. And the results are amazing. Again, you know, we are doubling the yield with half the water. But it's not only that. When you think about rice irrigation, you are thinking about those beautiful rice paddies in Vietnam, in the Philippines, in India. You have to level the soil, which disturbs the soil and damages it in a way. When you move to drip irrigation, you don't need to level the soil. So immediately, the potential soil to grow rice is more than doubled because you can use hilly terrain. You can grow rice not only in the wet season. You can grow rice with drip irrigation in the wet season and in the dry season. Or you can grow rice and then corn or rice and wheat using the same drip irrigation system. So this is something that is very high on our research and development, especially from the agronomical side. And this may bring the next drip revolution. And you're changing the landscape. And we are changing the landscape. And the tourists may not like it. But again, you know, I'm very modest. I will be very happy if we change only 10% of global rice from flood irrigation to drip irrigation. And by the way, I don't remember the exact figures, but I think that each hectare of rice that will be converted from flood irrigation to drip irrigation, it is like removing two and a half vehicles off the road as far as greenhouse gas emissions is concerned. Let's talk about the R&D. When Simcha Blas started his drip irrigation system, he was talking only about subsurface drip irrigation. By the way, we were not the first. I mean, he... tried to find other partners and people just uh, rejected him, threw him away, said, no, it, this is not going to work. There's no way that by dripping small amounts of water next to a mature tree, you can keep the tree alive. Now, the system that Simcha Blas brought with him was very basic. It was subsurface and we had many problems, mainly clogging of the drippers. So the first problem answer was to bring the system above ground. The results were amazing. But then a few years later, we met another engineer, Rafi Mehudar, and he actually invented and developed the mechanism for the new generation of drippers. We are not high-tech. This was taking us more in the direction of high-tech. The drippers... that were developed by Rafi Mehudar were very clever. 
we had self-cleaning. We had a mechanism that prevented root intrusion. The drippers were pressure compensated, which meant that regardless of inlet pressure, whether you are close to the water source or far away from the water source, down the valley, up the hill, you'll get exactly the same flow rate, the same amount of water. How do you do that? By building a very unique mechanism that includes a very specific structure of the dripper and a very accurate membrane in the dripper. So you're talking just about the end node. You're not talking about nothing, about big infrastructure, a big <clears throat> pump, anything like that. Just a small... A small thing, size of a penny. And this is a very, very clever creature. And it is inserted into the pipe. And when you look at the pipe, you see just a simple hole. But the, behind the hole, there's this very clever mechanism. The future when it comes to R&D? The future of R&D for us is in three directions. The first one is the technology, the product, the drippers. And I don't know, perhaps the idea is what we call IOD. Irrigation on demand. A dripper that will sense the immediate needs of the immediate area around the dripper and will irrigate independently according the needs in the immediate area of the dripper. Our R&D people are busy developing new products. The challenges are more complicated because in the past we used only clean domestic drinking water. We have very bad water that we are using all over the world. It can be from canals, it can be from reservoirs, it can be sometimes brackish water, and in more and more cases we are reusing wastewater, and the flow rate of the dripper is constantly going down. In the past the smallest flow rate was two liters per hour, Today we have half liter per hour and no clogging. Because of technology, we can overcome clogging with lower rate of flow. And more and more we are returning to what we call SDI, subsurface drip irrigation. So the technology R&D in the technology is advancing all the time. But at the same time, we have uh, R&D in our agronomy going to new crops like alfalfa, like rice. Sugarcane has become our number one crop globally. For drip irrigation? For drip irrigation. So R&D is not just the product, it's also the application, the audience, you may say, the crops that we are talking to through our uh, dripper lines. And there's another one, uh, the manufacturing process is also something which is very important to achieve accuracy and efficiency in uh, our manufacturing process. Why are you here today? You, Nati, why are you here? You know, I, I look back, I'm 73 years old today, and I, I was very young when in my teens, when I started dreaming about joining a kibbutz, joining a farming community, and specifically I was dreaming about the southern part of Israel, the Negev Desert. And I, I can't really tell you what was more influential. Looking for values, trying to find a way where I can make my life more meaningful, 
or dreaming about the adventure of driving a tractor in the wide fields in the desert. And, and I can tell you that sometimes it was the tractor and sometimes it was the values. And combined together, I found myself in Kibbutz Hatserim in the desert. I, I'm talking about socialistic values of a kibbutz. But you know, I think that the pendulum is leaning back into sharing things. People are talking about building a social network of sharing cars. And you go to New York, you go to the basement of the building, to the parking area, and you see zip cars, and it is for the use of the people, of the community. This is how it works in the kibbutz from day one. At the beginning, we had only one car, so not much to share. But today we have hundreds of cars, and I have a company vehicle that was given to me by the company, but when I'm not using it, I'm returning it to the pool, and anyone in the kibbutz can use it. So by some kind of mixture between coincidence and values and ideology, I found myself in kibbutz Hatserim. And then a year later, we established Netafim. So I find myself in the General Assembly, uh, raising my hand, for the establishment of Netafim. In 1981, I went to California to establish Netafim USA. And today, 36 years later, when I drive in California, I am amazed with the progress of Netafim and drip irrigation and the miracles that it does for farmers. I always say that our main competitor is not being aware to the advantages of drip irrigation. So I'm here because I see myself as an evangelist of drip irrigation. And by the way, when I'm doing that, I, I think I'm doing also good things, well, for me personally, for the company, for my kibbutz, for Israel. You know, there's something in Judaism which is called tikkun olam. And tikkun olam if I'll try to translate it, it's fixing the world. Drip irrigation is fixing the world. Flood irrigation is ruining the world, contaminating it, increasing greenhouse gas emissions, contaminating aquifers and so on, wasting water, contaminating riverbeds. Drip irrigation is fixing the world. So as far as you are concerned, you are here today as an evangelist and you don't really care if it's Sintafim or any other company which is one of your global competitors. For you, the main reason is go on, stop flooding, start dripping. Uh, this is correct, but again, I, my hat is a Netafim hat, which by the way is very nice. I uh, recommend every farmer in the world to wear a Netafim hat. My salary is paid by Netafim, so I'm doing it for Netafim. When I'm doing this evangelism, I'm doing it for the company, I'm doing it for Netafim. I'm very proud and very happy that it is also bringing good things to the world and, by the way, to other drip manufacturers. Because when I dream about 5 to 25, increasing the rate of drip irrigation in global irrigation from 5% to 25%, it will do good also to other decent drip manufacturers. I guess that you know exactly by name the kibbutz member that many, many years ago said that we're going to keep it a secret. I'm not asking to name names, but what would you say to him today? 
you know, the farm manager that came to us and said, guys, let's keep it a secret because this is going to be excellent for our main business, which is growing peaches, apricots, joined Netherfim after a few years, became our leader as far as agronomy in general and water quality and water use through drip irrigation in particular. I loved working with him. He was much older than me. He was one of the founders of the kibbutz. And uh, unfortunately, I cannot ask him today anything because he passed away several years ago. But what will you tell him about your 5 to 25? I, I, I would tell him that I'm sharing his dream because it was also his dream to facilitate the use of drip irrigation in new territories, in new crops. And he did it from the professional side, from the agronomy and water quality. Nati Barak, Netafim, thank you very much. It's my pleasure. Waterline is brought to you by Israel Newtech and is a PI Media production.